Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my new friend, Dina Alexander, who's calling in from Rio Rancho, um, a suburb outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome to the podcast, Dina. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Dina, um, just by way of introduction, is an LDS mother of three. She started an organization. Um, She's the founder of Educate and Empower Kids. And we'll talk about that organization. She's an author and a speaker. And she's written several books about how to talk to kids about sex and how to navigate talking to your kids about pornography and give them better tools to avoid pornography, as well as some other books she's recently written. Um, As we've been visiting, I've just recognized her work is so needed. And those of you that are parents or local leaders and know you need better tools, just like I know um, when I was raising kids and still am, that I needed better tools to help talk to them about important subjects. Dina has many of those tools, and I think what she shares and what she's written will be helpful to you. Um, Just go ahead, and I'm just going to turn it over to you, Dina. I'll let you introduce yourself to our listeners before we get into specific things you've done. All right. Sounds good. Um, So like you said, I live in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. I grew up in the Los Angeles area in California. I went to BYU for my undergraduate. Uh, I went to the University of Utah for graduate school. I have my master's in recreation therapy. Nobody ever knows what that means, but how I studied it, it's about using games and initiatives to get people to talk about their feelings, their daily life, the issues and problems that they are dealing with. I have three children. My oldest daughter is on a mission. She is hopefully going to make it to Uruguay. We'll see. But for right now, she is reassigned to Boise, Idaho. My other kids, I have a son who is a senior in high school and a freshman in high school. So I've got two boys left at home. And I uh, recently have just published my first two books for the LDS uh, community. Most of my books have been just for anybody not religious at all. Um, But I have two books. One's called This is the Spirit of Revelation. Another one is called Chloe Has a Question, a very important question. And these are for kids. Uh, The second one is a little less obvious what it's about, but it's about teaching kids that their questions are not just good, they're great and necessary. And having questions about God and Jesus and Joseph Smith doesn't make you a doubter. It makes you a seeker of truth. And right now I'm actually working on my third book for LDS kids um, that will be hopefully coming out uh, next year. And it's about priesthood power for boys and for girls. And so that is uh, something that I have felt prompted in the last year or so to start writing and working on. And I have been researching like crazy to understand priesthood power as a woman, but also how to teach that and break that down for kids so that they can understand this huge power that they have access to. And so um, I'm sure as we'll talk, you'll see, I have a lot of interests, a lot of uh, different things that I've seen. Like you said, we started out with um, a book you know, some books about teaching your kids how to, you know, teaching about sexual intimacy, but we've expanded out particularly as the needs of the parents that I've spoken to across the country, what they need, you know, talking about social media, talking about media literacy, helping kids 
to develop positive body image, some of these different things that you and I maybe didn't have to worry about so much when we were kids, but that our kids are being faced with and bombarded with. And so I want to give parents the tools so that they that they are not intimidated of talking about some of these tough topics because it doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be scary. When you break these big topics down into bite-sized pieces, they're very, very doable. That's great. Tell our listeners, we'll do this at the end of the podcast, um, the name of where to, where to go if they want to see a list of all your books and better connect with you. Uh, yes. So we have um, our main website is educateempowerkids.org. And parents can find tons of free resources on there. We have a lessons page that those are basically all broken down into family home evening lessons, talking about social media, talking about using technology for good, talking about um, you know, some of the dangers of social media, talking about the dangers of pornography. We have tons of articles and resources that are free. And then we have our books on there, or they can find them on Amazon. Um, all of our books are there. If they, and they can look them up by name or look them up by my name, Dina Alexander, or look them up by on Amazon through typing in Educate and Empower Kids. That's great. Talk to us about um, this is one of the things listeners, as I visited with Dina before the podcast, all this has started and has been completed since 2014. So take us back to 2014 before all of this started. Just tell us the story. Uh, so I, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and we had actually just moved to Albuquerque from Los Alamos, New Mexico. It's another great, great community that we lived in. And I was just sitting at the kitchen table looking at Facebook on my laptop, and I read an article about teen pornography consumption, and I really couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe the level of degradation of what they were saying was in pornography, the... Um, the hatefulness, the misogyny that was involved toward women, the constant position a woman was put in with um, the male always being in a dominant position and a woman always being in a submissive position that um, I couldn't believe it, honestly. And so I started researching right that day, just reading, reading, reading. And it was like a fire inside me. And I just thought to myself, I've got to, I've got to do something about this. I've got to just talk to every parent I know. So I did just start talking to friends and family on social media, but also in my community. I mean, even at the gym, I'm working out and talking to the person next to me. Do you know what's in pornography? Do you know how much kids are looking at this and what they're learning that this is where they're getting their sex ed? And I was like, I was becoming that weird porn lady at church. And I was totally okay with it, right? I was like, hey, we got to talk about this. And what I realized in, in that research, and as we started the organization, as I brought a board together, created the website, was that parents were scared. That's what's the big thing I learned. Not just my Christian friends, atheist friends, agnostic friends, every different culture, people were scared. So I thought, oh my goodness, I can't even get people to talk about pornography I can't even get them to talk about sex either. So the first set of books we did was called 30 Days of Sex Talks, Empowering Your Child with Knowledge of Sexual Intimacy. We wanted it to be very intimacy-focused and very parent-driven. And we created three books, one for ages three to seven, eight to 11, and 12 plus. And it's basically the only sex talks book out there that came at the topic from a place of 
being against pornography, right? Versus even though it was still very sex positive, everything in there is about being positive and encouraging and teaching our kids that sex is good and beautiful and wonderful. And that what they see in porn is not intimacy. It's not love. There's no hand-holding, hugging, kissing, romance. It is about the act, right? And it is about being selfish and taking that from somebody else versus this is something we're going to share. And so that's where we started with that, um, that set of books. And then that just, it started to evolve as, you know, like I said, we and me gone, I speak around the country. And what I learned was that, you know, pornography and sex were not the only big concerns in the digital age, but that parents were worried about social media and just the technology moving so quickly and feeling behind. So then that led to other books. It led to our first children's books. Um, One of those is called Noah's New Phone, a story about using technology for good. Another one we did was called, that we did two of them for body image, boys' body image and girls' body image. Those are called Messages About Me. And one is about a girl named Sydney. It's named after my daughter. And one is named after Wade, who was my co-author's son. And because again, even though I had major body image issues as a child, I realized that what kids are being bombarded with now is about a hundred times more than what I was um, was exposed to. So both of those have very powerful messages about the messages we receive from our family members, from our friends, from media, and how to combat that. All of our books have tons of discussion questions. I'm really big on that. That's something that I have found very effective in my home with my kids, and that as we've written these and that had people experiment with them. And as a board, as we did these, we realized how amazing the conversations we were having with our kids. And again, that's something that I want for other parents is to have that feeling of my kids can ask me anything. My kids can talk to me about anything. That's, that's always what I've wanted. And that's always been my goal as I've created this, as I've shown them and seen where I've messed up with my kids, where I've done well with my kids. Again, learning from those experiences and just wanting that to be simpler and more fulfilling for parents. Thank you. Talk about in that first book, age three to seven, why you'd even bring up sex with somebody with a child that that young. That's a great question. So again, like I said, so people freak out when they see our, our three to seven book. And until we explain to them how most of it is protective information, where we can briefly talk about um, predators. And we're now a child that young is not going to be able to stop a predator, right? But they can, we can give them the tools to recognize um, inappropriate behavior, that good touch, bad touch, those instincts that we have inside us that make us feel uncomfortable. And we can also give them a sense where they're building blocks for those future conversations of helping kids understand something that's so important, such as like, you know, one of the topics or two of the topics that we have in that book, one is play and one is respect. So teaching our kids that how we play with each other, how we interact with each other is important, that we don't put our hands on other people. We don't hit people and when, especially, you know, they don't want that. So learning to have that respect for myself, my body, and for respect 
for other people's bodies. Again, these are those seeds that we're planting. And these are, again, conversations that you don't just have once with your child. All of our books, particularly the sex talks books for all three age groups, it's not just a one-time conversation. These are many small conversations. My favorite topic in this book is the second lesson. It's called My Body Belongs to Me. And we discuss how my body is mine and I can do you know, what I want with it and that nobody can touch me without my permission. And so we, dis- we discuss in there forced affection. And that's more of a message to the parents of your child should not have to hug or kiss Aunt Lucy or Uncle Stanley when they don't want to. That's teaching them those building blocks, those first initial things that, no, if you don't want to hug or kiss or that's cool. you know, somebody, you should never have to because how is a child supposed to know that when it's an uncle or an aunt, or it's a coach or a teacher at school or a scout leader. And is that okay? Am I, they're the authority figure. Is that, am I allowed to say no? So that's where we, again, all of these are those, those seeds that we're planting. Another one of the topics in there is like, when we say no, like, when is it okay to say no? And we practice saying no, because, you know, it's not okay to tell mom no when she asks you to clean her room, but it's okay to say no if the coach wants to give you a hug or smack you on the butt. So these are, again, it's not a one-time conversation and it's not for all three-year-olds. You know, some of these are for you. We all know that those very intelligent three and four-year-olds that they're going to understand it. But also we know kids who maybe are six and seven and they still don't understand it. That's why there's that age range and why that conversation needs to happen more than once um, because that is, it's hard to, you know, there's conver- so many conversations that I've had with my kids that they, they only heard a part of it, a piece of it until we revisit it and then it kind of clicks even more. And so there's a couple of discussions between the books that repeat Uh, Because you want to add those layers on as a parent. You know, you're not going to have one conversation about respect and not hitting other people when you're five and then you're done and you're never going to revisit that again. You're going to revisit some of these conversations multiple times, especially as they get older and kids get more curious. You know, they're going to ask more questions. How'd you get pregnant? How did that baby get inside you? You know, why would you do that? You know, they have a lot of great, great questions. And we want to we want to help you answer those questions and be ready for those questions too. This is great. There's a lot of listeners really engaged in this subject right now. Especially, I'm thinking of grandkids because we're a little out of the younger kids' age, but still, my kids and grandkids and parents, especially starting out their families with young kids, this is so needed. Dina, um, question: Our church has been talking about the dangers of pornography for a long time. What else should parents know when discussing these dangers with their kids? So I think uh, in the church, we've talked about it. So people know that pornography is bad. But I know for me, when I, before I started this, I didn't know why. I thought, well, it's just some kinky sex. What's the big deal? You know, okay, whatever. And until I learned about what it really does to the brain what it really does to the psyche, what it really does to the spirit, how a child, our kids are being exposed at such a young age. And I think most parents know at this point, it's not if, it's when. And most of our kids are being exposed at younger and younger ages, especially as people 
give their kids a smartphone as young as eight, nine, 10, your kids are going to be exposed. You know, my child, my daughter was exposed um, very young on um, her, on my stepfather's computer, looking at his cache of his history and came across some pornography that he had been looking at, right? This is my stepfather who is a very good man, happened to be a temple worker, and uh, but apparently had some hidden stuff going on, right? right. And that's, we all want to think that never in my home or, oh, I'm going to protect my kids or, oh, I'm homeschooling so my kids will never see it. I think, I, I hope every parent realizes that's just ridiculous, that they're going to be exposed more than once. Both my boys have had things shown to them um, on the school bus, at scout camp, uh, in, in church, you know, the, um, so we have to kind of be prepared. So we want to be able to talk to our kids very young. Um, hopefully you have, if you, if you haven't discussed it, one of the first things you want to do is discuss, is help your kids define it so that they know this is pornography. So that when you're at the museum and you see a beautiful painting or a sculpture of a naked man or a naked woman, your kid doesn't freak out, but that you can let them know this is art and this is something beautiful and that this is the difference, that pornography is um, usually is not is naked people, but that a simple definition for young kids is to let them know that there's sexual activity going on in it, that they have little or no clothing, and that this is something that we need to get away from, that please come and tell mom and dad if you see it. But that also, um, as they get older, because they're going to be there, as they are trying to sort this out, especially in that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range, in what is the difference or what is pornography, you're going to help them understand that pornography is meant with the intent of titillating or turning you on, but also with the intent of making money, right? So art is different in that sense for me that it's that's not the point of it you know that it's something it's it might be a study of the human figure but the point of it is not necessarily to turn me on and it's not necess- it's not to just make money um so those discussions are helpful but when you want to keep it simple it's people with little or no clothing and some there's usually sexual activity with that and to let them know, hey, when you see that on your phone or you see that on the computer, you need to come tell me right away. And you need to get away from it. So the next part, you want to teach kids, you want to teach them to the definition, but you also want to teach them that they need to have a plan for getting out. When their friend shows it to them, help them practice the words. What are they going to say when their friend shows it to them? I need to have a plan of, you know what, I don't want to see that, or that's not cool. Please, you know, don't show me that stuff. Or you know what, I, you know, that's something I don't need to see. Whatever the words that are, that your family uses, or maybe there's a, maybe they call you or text you and they have a secret word of, hey, I need some popcorn. And maybe anything to do with popcorn means that mom or dad needs to come and pick you up right away because of pornography or just that you're uncomfortable. Maybe you're watching, your family's watching an R-rated movie at your friend and you want to get out, whatever. So having a phrase or some plan with your kids of how to get away from it. And so, and the, the main, one of the important things that I think people forget is they think, oh, I need to wait until my kids ask me. I need to wait till, because that's what I was taught when I was a new mom. Wait for your kids to ask you about sex. And I, some people would say the same things. Wait till your kids ask about pornography. I totally disagree with that. 
we need to be able to show and tell our kids that I can talk about tough subjects, that I'm not scared to talk about sex. I'm not scared to talk about anything, you know? So we start, we initiate that conversation so that our kids learn one, that we are comfortable talking about it, but that they also know they can come and ask us any question and that we're comfortable, that we're in a way comfortable with getting uncomfortable, that there's nothing, there's no topic out there that you are going to be intimidated and that I, as mom, am going to be calm and rational, or I'm going to thank my child for asking that question. My kids have asked me some very different, some things I was not prepared for. You know, one of the things that I like to remind parents is there's no perfect way to do this. We're never going to do this perfectly. So let go of that. Every parenting expert that I've ever spoken to around the world, I've spoken to many experts, quote unquote, with PhDs and books and, you know, television shows. And they, they all have a horror story of how they have messed up these talks or weren't prepared for something. You know, there was one occasion where I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, Monica Lewinsky giving a TED talk about being the first person to be cyber bullied, right? Because that was right in that era. And I said the words um, oral sex, not realizing that my nine-year-old son was right behind me. And so of course he asks, mom, what's oral sex? And I thought, oh, I don't believe in saying, I'll tell you when you're older or, you know, oh, don't ask me that. So I knew his older brother who was 11 at the time didn't know what that was either. So I was like, okay, let's go talk about it. So I got my husband, luckily right there home. We went up to our room and we, I explained to both of them what oral sex was. And of course they were eyes bulging out of their head. What? People do that? And then this nine-year-old who always has, still has amazing questions for me asked, mom, what other types of sex are there? And I said, that is a great question. And so I explained anal sex, what anal sex was. And uh, that was not a conversation I was planning on having that day. But I remember just feeling so glad that I did because they heard it from me and not from somebody on the playground. And so that, you know, And people, of course, they want to have a script sometimes. Okay, how do I say this to this child? Well, I have three kids. It's three different conversations, usually, in how I handle it. They each have a different personality. They each have different concerns, fears. Um, So I need. So when I address my kids, it's it's different for each child, typically. I love all of that. Talk to parents that said, I, if I talk to my kids about oral sex, that, that they're more likely to explore. It's better not to talk about it because then the odds, it, it just sort of keeps it out of the conversation or keeps it out of their mind. Yeah, and I also it. like the way yeah. you didn't create any shame around your son asking that question. It's part of your strategy. I want to be safe for my yeah, son. Exactly. So as he asked the question there, you, that could have been very shaming for him and it may have taught him. I shouldn't ask some questions to mom because it may backfire. So there's exactly. kind of two things in there. Yeah, two things. So but so not shaming because so I always remember when when I was in the eighth grade, ninth grade or so, and we were at girls' camp, and my mom happened to be the ward camp director, and we're sitting in a tent full of girls, and somebody asked me about having kissed a boy that I had that I had made out with this boy. And my mother was in the same tent and she, oh, 
you did that? Oh my goodness. La, 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 la. Had it like got upset. And I guess how much I told her in the future right. about a boy, about a, about boys I kissed, not a thing. So, but I remember telling my dad and my dad totally, total uh, poker face. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Oh, do you like that boy? Just very calm about it. So guess what? I told him more about boys in the future. Oh, I like that boy. I think that boy is cute, etc. So you want to, when your kids ask you about things, thank them. And if you don't know the answer, let them know. You know what? I don't know the answer, but I'm going to look it up. In the past, we might have said, let's look that up together. But again, because there's so many disgusting things online, you really can't look things up together. But I will tell you that one of the biggest compliments we get on our sex talks books is how thorough our glossary is. We have a very thorough glossary if you need answers. Now, the second part that you mentioned was, are we going to create curiosity by starting certain conversations? Well, one, no, you're not. And two, kids are already curious if they, they are going to seek out and learn, and they are already hearing every term you could possibly imagine at a very young age, okay? Like I said, when my younger son, my youngest, when he was, ex- he didn't even realize when he was exposed to porn what it was. Instead, he showed it to me. He was like, oh, look at this funny thing that someone showed me. And it was an animated porn, pornography thing having to do with Shrek. All right. Simple enough character on a cartoon, DreamWorks movie. And I remember telling him, you know, this is pornography. And he was totally shocked, right? Because that was not just because it hadn't shown all the genitalia, let's say. I let him know that the context, the sexual context of what he was seeing, that this was pornography and that we need to avoid these things. But also, so our kids are already being exposed to way more than you realize. And two, we want our kids to be curious. That is how the human species, the human race has existed for thousands of years. Heavenly Father gave us that curiosity. That is how we grow and progress and learn. And it's okay as you, you know, talk about certain things, you're not going to dive into oral or anal or vaginal sex right in the first conversation. Okay. As you layer these conversations and start, your kids will understand that this is, that you're not teaching them any grand secret, that this is just regular, you know, information for their health, for their safety, that it's not that big a deal. So, you know, again, people think, oh, I need to start, I need to just talk right about penis and vagina right on the first conversation. And that usually is what intimidates people. You don't have to start there. You can let your kids know, oh, well, you know, we're going to have some different conversations, you know, every Monday night or every Sunday afternoon or at dinner. Um, I have, have had several parents tell me that they keep the sex talks book just in their car, in the side of their car. And when they have a long trip or they're, you know, they're going to be in the car for 30 minutes or so, they will pull out and talk to one of these. They'll pull out one of these and let them know that, you know, hey, I have, you know, we're going to have a little discussion. You can talk so simply. The first conversation can just be about respect. The first conversation can be, the second can be about what do you want someday in a husband or a wife? What does a good, a, a fun boyfriend or girlfriend look like? What do you want someday? Do you want to be married someday? 
you know, then you can maybe, maybe that discussion will evolve into something about healthy versus abusive relationships. Then that might evolve into talking about just intimacy and love. And what does it mean to fall in love? You know, these converse, so then, and all of, you know, our, the way we've set them up, we've set them up into 30 conversations that you really only need to plan five or 10 minutes for. Maybe the conversation is going to be evolve into puberty. Maybe you're going to notice, oh, my child is starting to stink a little. I'm not going to tell him that, but we're going to go and pick out some deodorant together. And as we drive there or as we drive home, we're going to talk about the way our bodies change. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge, scary thing. They just are. That's why we say it's not so much the talk as it is a bunch of chats. So you're going to do small, simple things, small, simple conversations. And yeah, they're going to be curious, but hopefully you are expressing yourself in a kind, loving way that they are just going to return the questions to you. And that's usually how it goes. When we first put out the books to friends and family to have them tested out, that was what came back to us every time. I can't believe the great conversations I'm having. I thought this would be a five-minute conversation with me mostly talking. And instead, it went to 40 minutes because my kids were asking me so many great questions. And I'm like, exactly. That's cool. That's what we want. And you want your kids to be curious. And you also want them to ask you questions. And you can, but you also can set up parameters of, hey, you're not going to talk about this on the playground. The other kids at school aren't learning about this right now. Please don't share what I'm learning outside our home. This is our safe spot. This is where we're going to talk about, you know, intimacy, love, sex, body parts, whatever. Um, Help them have that rule in place. And then also help them know, reiterating with your love and kindness, you can ask me anything you want. You can ask me about, you know, different types of families. You can ask me about sexual identification. You can ask me about masturbation. You know, these conversations you know, will, if you allow them, they will bring you and your child closer together. Talk about how to teach your kids about masturbation. That's a great question. So, you know, within the church, the, the conversation around masturbation is very negative. Okay. Um, and what I found, particularly with my boys, that what they were learning at church, not by design and not you know, because I've, I've, they have had some great young men leaders that I admire and respect quite a bit and that I worked with. I worked in the scouting program for many years in my last ward, surprisingly enough. And I, um, but I could tell that there was a lot of shame in that conversation, that it was taught to them as sometimes one of the, the biggest sins they could have. And I had to remind my kids that you know, it says in the first strength of youth that this is not a good idea, but I also let them know it's not the end of the world. Okay. And I let them know that I was not, they were not going to be say in trouble with me if they decided to masturbate, but that it was most likely going to become a question that might, that was going to be asked by the Bishop when they wanted to have a recommend to go to do baptisms for the dead at the temple or to pass and bless the sacrament. Um, and I've always talked about that in, in relation to pornography because most kids don't just watch porn and don't just masturbate these days. 
it is almost always in conjunction together. And again, I hope parents realize that because again, that may not have been the case for us. Secondly, it's also really important for us to realize this is not just a boy thing, it's a girl thing. We have an article on our website um, that you can look up. You can just look up on the website masturbation. And there's one about talking to our daughters about masturbation. Because over the years, that is something that I've had so many parents worry about, right? Oh, my daughter's masturbating. Da, da, da. They're always way more concerned if their daughter is masturbating than if their son is masturbating. And I, I really had to think about that one. Like, why is this such a big deal? Why do we worry? You know, what is, and then I real, and it's because we still, in, as a culture, not just in the church, outside of the church, we as a culture are still in some sense uncomfortable with a woman's pleasure, okay? And it's sometimes we have to, it's hard to wrap our heads around that because we think, no, we don't. I don't mind. I want my wife to be satisfied or my husband wants me to have an orgasm. But in, as a culture, and when we think of girls and boys, we are, that's why we worry much more if a girl masturbates. Oh, interesting. Like, is she is she being a is she a slut? Is she sleeping around? Da, 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 da. Now there are sometimes occasions people worry because they think their daughter may have been sexually abused, right? A three, four, five year old child that is masturbating. That is, it can be the case, but it is usually pretty rare. Okay, so masturbation happens for one simple reason: it's because it feels good. Okay, particularly around little kids, right? We worry if a three or four, like I said, seven or eight year old is masturbating you have to realize that for them, it's just like running your fingers through your hair. It feels good, but there is nothing sexual going on. I just happen to be rubbing my fingers or my mom used to have these long acrylic nails and I would ask her to rub her hands on my arm. I loved feeling those nails. It was so relaxing and soothing. There was nothing sexual in it. Same thing when I six, seven, eight-year-old girl or boy is masturbating. It is for the simple reason that it feels good. And usually when they're younger, it's much easier to redirect, right? You know what? Um, can you go wash your hands and let's help, come help me make dinner? Or you know what? We don't masturbate at the dinner table, okay? Just FYI, can you, you know, we, we want our hands are dirty. We do not want to give our vagina an infection. Let's not uh, masturbate here at the dinner table, please. You know, it can just be very simple, matter of fact. Now, as they get older, if you haven't already had a discussion, you're going to need to have a discussion about masturbation. And that needs to be according to your values. So if you are somebody who feels like, I, there's no problem with masturbation, I think it's okay, da, 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 then you're going to let your child know that. But if you believe it is inappropriate or that it is a sin, you need to let your child know that. Okay? You need to let your child know this is not you know, what Heavenly Father wants us to do. And you just need to say it in a very kind, loving way. Okay, I'm sorry, you cannot be doing this. This is not appropriate. You need to find something else to do. You know, you need to, if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling frustrated, lonely, but you know, it usually needs to be in conjunction with a discussion of coping mechanisms. What can we do when we're feeling down or lonely or sad? Because a lot of teenagers, they're masturbating when they're lonely, sad, depressed, bored. Same reasons why they're going to go watch porn even if they don't, that's not, you know, even if they know it's quote, it's wrong, right? Why are they going to do it? Bored, lonely, sad, especially being stuck at home during COVID. Okay. That's going to be a huge temptation. You're bored, you're sad, you're, you know, you know, 
I know a lot of kids that they want they do that as they go to bed, they do that in the shower. It's part of a relaxation routine. So we need to help our kids have a different relaxation routine. And I think we also need to have just some very open conversations about that, about with what, what masturbating constantly, if that is our only go-to, that that is going to affect our, our, our sexual reactivity, but it's also going to affect our future relationships. Now, as I got into the pornography, anti-pornography movement, I was very surprised to meet um, several adults that are in different programs talking about what the constant use of masturbation and pornography did to them. There's all these online, particularly on Twitter, these no fap groups. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they are, there are a lot of, there are groups of young men that support each other in stopping, like they're um, stopping masturbating, like, cause they are, they might be masturbating every day and they find that when they are with a real woman that they can't keep their erection or they are not able to go to completion with a, with a woman because they're so used to masturbating to porn. Right. And so we have often just focused on that male problem. And this is not something to use to freak your kids out, but it's just maybe in a second or third conversation about masturbation to let them know it can have consequences in the future. I'm not saying it's for everybody, just like pornography. Not If you look at pornography one or, one or two times, you're not going to be addicted. Okay. Because I think sometimes LDS kids think that, oh, I've seen pornography five times, I'm addicted. No, an addiction is a very different thing but it can happen. I've seen, I have met many, many young men who had to basically reprogram their brains that way. But also I have started losing track of how many of my female friends who are married have told me that they have a harder time coming, coming to orgasm with their husband because they had masturbated throughout their teenage years and throughout their twenties. That was something I did not even realize was a thing. Because nobody's going to talk about that, particularly women right. are not going to talk about that very much, okay? Especially in the LDS church. But that's something that I think is worth talking about, maybe with our friends, with our children, to let them know, I'm not saying you're going to become addicted. I'm not saying it's going to affect your sex life, but it might. It might if you let it become a habit, okay? That was my always my concern with my kids. I was like, masturbating is not the healthiest way. It's not the best outlet with us within our LDS culture. But it's, you know, my concern is if it becomes habit forming. Okay. That's where I think any of our kids need to be aware of that it can affect them. I'm glad you've talked about that. It's, we did a podcast where I just shared my thoughts on that. And I'm, and I kind of came up from a, uh, YSA Bishop, but just some thoughts is, I love what you said, you will not be in trouble with me. What a beautiful thing for a parent to say about really all these different spaces. Yeah, it may be against church teachings um, that we both want to follow, but it's, you're never, you don't, you're not getting in trouble with me. I love this, just the safe place you created. Um, well, especially, I, as a, especially as a mom with my boys. With my yeah. daughter, she already basically would intuitively, I think, know that because of our relationship. But I know that my boys particularly needed to hear that because who wants 
their mom who wants to who wants to find out that their mom knows that they're masturbating or do you know what I mean like it, that for boys teenage boys that's just like the most embarrassing thing so it's like I think it's one of those things where you you got to let them off the hook you know um as far as like you said that they're not in trouble with they, you might have consequences you might have your bishop might want to talk to you about it but yeah you're not going to be I'm not going to think less of you um Finally, with the YSAs, because the YSAs would come and want to talk about this at time, young single adult congregation, for those of you that aren't LDS, is a congregation of just single adults, 18 to 30. And I was their bishop or priesthood leader, and they talk about this, but I recognized they were all over the map on how serious this was on a one to 10 scale with 10 being the worst sexual sin and one being the least. Um, Yep. They are all over the map on this, and there's so much misinformation. And I think largely culturally, we've, we as parents, you're not doing this, but we've kind of outsourced this to the bishop and perhaps the young men's, young women's leaders to teach our children about particularly masturbation. It's some, we may teach them about sex and about the birds and the bees, but I think we need to in this church-supported home, well, home-centered, church-supported, I think we as parents need to take responsibility for these topics that you're bringing up and take that teaching into the home. And that's why your books are so important. Everything in for strength of youth should be taught at home because you really, do you really want to give that control up to whoever is the young men leader, the young woman president? I'm like, even even if you think they're wonderful people, like I've, met wonderful, wonderful young men, young women leaders, but I have been shocked sometimes at how that not just conservative, but they don't even want to mention the word sex. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what if they have the double whammy of the parent and the child not willing to talk about it? That's why, again, we need to be in in control of that conversation and yeah, supported by what is said at church, but you don't want to abdicate that responsibility. Something so important, something that is going to be with them and affect them for the rest of their life. You know, like you said, and I, I love that you said that it's all over the map because that is what surprised me was when I have talked with church groups all over that. Yeah, some people think this is a little bit of a sin and some people think that I've masturbated three or four times and I can't go on a mission now. It's like, no, are you kidding? Like, Right. Heavenly God is a merciful God. There's justice, but there is mercy, you know, so. Um, I picked up something where you're using the word masturbation with children that obviously can't have an orgasm. I've used it. I've thought about it just in the context of bringing someone's own self to orgasm, but I recognize you have a broader, probably more accurate definition, which I sense is just touching for pleasure. And for little kids, that's the same as I like where you just said, it's like having your hands through your hair. It's just a, and there should be no shame in that. So you're not creating shame as you taught that at the dinner table. You use correct, not, you correct, use correct vocabulary and logical explanation. So if I'm a five-year-old kid and you just told me that, you didn't create any shame around that. And I recognize no. you've kind of then talked about teenagers that masturbation, um, I think for mo- in most situations, the goal would be orgasm. Um, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> It is. I thought so. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, where I kind of netted out on this is I finally just went to the young men's, I went to the Elders Quorum Release Society and I just told them, I said, I don't, you don't need to talk to me about this. 
I became increasingly uncomfortable that a bishop's role was to talk about masturbation. I just said, this is mostly between you and God. If I can help and you feel impressed to reach out to me and you feel like I could be helpful, I'm glad to talk about this, but I'm not going to proactively ask it when I give a temple recommend. We're taught actually Good. not. Good. We're not. We're taught to not ask additional questions that are in the temple recommend questions. So when people get to the law of chastity, they're asking that question. I don't think we should ask a follow-up question. Are you masturbating? And I don't. Th- I my, agree. My, I agree with you. And I know you. And, and my overall feeling is, I think you can be following the law of chastity and, and having slip-ups with masturbation. I think it, if it helps you if you want to, so that's just the way I handle it with young men and young women. And I would in a home ward is I'd say, this is a sin. Um, this is mostly between you and God and your parents, especially if you're, you know, under 18, 19, if you want to talk to your parents. Um, and I'm glad to help, but it's, I, it's the way I kind of netted out on that. And I would take a temple recommend back from, I wouldn't, keep them from taking the sacrament or a temple recommend unless they felt it would help them. So I kind of would say, you know, would it help to not have a temple recommend as a motivation to solve this? Or, and, but I didn't use, univer- I'm not speaking very clearly here. <laughs> well, it's I, one of those topics that is hard to, there's, just, not, a cut, there's not a cut and dry. I was worried this, I created you know? more shame around this topic. I worried that the shame around masturbation was worse than masturbation and the shame around not taking a sacrament or not going to the temple created more problems for young people than the actual sin itself. And, yep. and so that's kind of the way, and I wish I'd talked to clinical people or people like you earlier that just gave me better tools. Cause the longer I served, the more I connected with people more in the, in the clinical world that gave me better tools to manage this. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's just from thoughts from me, listeners, is, and I finally looked some wise in the eyes, Dean, and said, on a sexual sin scale between one and 10, with 10 being, you know, child sex abuse or trafficking, this is like a two. And if it's not part of a pornography problem, it might be a one or a two. Yeah, and Pornography was worse than that. And I just wanted to sort of couch it in the, in the context, because some, as you know, thought it was a nine or a 10, and it would keep them... From God's well, and, love, or from- and and for me, for, for me, the you know the reason that why pornography is more dangerous, let's Agreed. say, than than just ma- is because it really does change the way we think. Even if you don't, you know, because there is still debate out there as to whether or not pornography is addictive or not, right? And to me, it's like it doesn't matter if it's addictive or not. It changes the way we think. Those images jump off the computer and into our brain and we become conditioned to think of women in a certain way, to think of men in a certain way. Pornography is one of the last places in pop culture that that celebrates racism and misogyny on such a level. And I'm not sure why BLM isn't all over (laughs) the porn industry for how horrific they portray how they portray black women and Asian women and Latino women and Middle Eastern women, right? That it is, it is so disgusting and horrible that it's, that that's where I worry. And again, that's what I worry about with kids. You know, kids are forming that sexual template in that eight to 12 range, right? That's when we decide if we're gay or straight. That's when we decide 
who looks good, what's attractive to us. That's even when um, pedophiles start to look at younger children is even in that sexual template. It is, we are so impressionable sexually at that age. That is when you know, you will, re- that's will affect your fantasies for the rest of your life, whether that's an R-rated movie. And so I think of that eight, nine, 10-year-old boy or girl looking at pornography and what that will teach them about themselves as a sexual being, what that will teach them about their partners is it's so critical. And that is why, you know, I think the brethren and the sisters of the, you know, in our church leadership understand how important it is to just keep that out of our brains. That if we can form our own, that's what I've told my kids many times. I'm like, I want you to decide for yourself what turns you on. I want you to have that without, with as little media influence as possible, you know, with rated R movies, with whatever hypersexualized stuff on television. We want to create our own sexual identity, our own sexual, you know, ideas as much as possible on our own. Not what the porn industry is telling us is sexy because that's what they do. It is a very formulaic way that they present sex. You know, some people have called it the McDonald's cheeseburger version of sex. When you know all the food in the whole planet, right? Creme brulee, filet mignon, a delicious salad, whatever you like. But there's all this idea of food and then we have the porn industry telling you no. McDonald's cheeseburgers are the only food out there. That's basically what that industry does to our kids. Is it sells them this one version of sex that is so selfish and, you know, it just without intimacy that that's why, again, I'm, I'm always trying to urge parents, you want to talk about sex to help your kids kind of on that path so they can start forming that sexual script on their own with you know the little bit of guidance from you in helping them know what love and kindness and a healthy relationship look like so they're not just getting their education from what they see in the media and in pornography now go on to the next question um but i also just want to make a comment where you you de-shamed being turned on um in that conversation which is the right thing to do Absolutely. And I just love the way that was so nonchalant for you as I can hear you talking to your kids. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. Is there, I mean, we heavenly, are wired to be turned on. And that's absolutely. the way heavenly parents created have, us. So exactly. you just de-shamed that in a really appropriate way. And yeah. I think de-shaming it increases the likelihood for more appropriate sexual behavior at the right time. So I just love what you just said. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important for us to let them know that's normal and that's God-given. That's natural, you know, and that's why, again, we want our kids to, you know, when they are 16 and older, to try dating, to have girls and boys that are friends with them so that they can have that practice. You know, we lived in this one ward where um, these parents gave, gave their kids $500 if they finished high school without being kissed. And I thought that was the stupidest thing I had ever heard in my life. Not because I think everyone should just be out there kissing and making out as soon as possible, but because they need to figure those things out while they're still at home versus on their own at college, on a mission, wherever, and trying to still grapple with their sexuality. You know, they, 
we need, they need the practice while they're still with us at home so that we can guide them a little bit into what a healthy and unhealthy relationship looks like, but also to just where they can say, make mistakes, those first really stupid mistakes, you know, the dumb things we say on a date and do that while they're still at home, hopefully, you know, or with, while they're hanging out with boys and girls and figuring out, you know, this whole continuum of appropriate behavior. So. Thanks for talking about pornography. I wrote about this in the end sign on page 72 of the October end sign for any listeners. It's just seven tips for solving porn. It's meant to be hope-filled, non-shaming, pretty practical thoughts. But as I was listening to you, I'm thinking, I hope you write a more extensive article one day (laughs) in the end sign. I should. That's a great idea. (laughs) um, I hope you're asked to do that. And, and because I think I just bring more of a pastoral perspective, but the clinical perspective, um, and just you have additional insights that are helpful. Here's a question. How can parents, we're shifting gears, listeners, how can parents be sensitive in these sex talks um, or sex education if they don't know if their kids are gay or straight? Great question. So I know that when I, even before I started this, um, I was lucky enough to have a couple of, cousins, um, one particularly that was um, closer to my age who was gay. And I remember asking him, like, what would you have, what do you wish your parents had said to you, you know, so that you would have been more comfortable and say willing to come out because he had this, he had happened to have a very macho father. Um, They both happened to not be particularly active in the church, but you know, basically one foot in, one foot out. And uh, what he had talked about was just not making any jokes, not saying, you know, not any put downs to anybody they knew that was gay. And I think that go, that translates over to the sex talks. When you are explaining these, you know, we have in the, <clears throat> in the book, in our, in our eight to 11 and our 12 plus book, we have a, you know, a section on sexual identification and, you know, different kinds of families. And, we leave it very open because we want parents to guide it and direct it from their point of view. We don't, again, we don't have a script for this. I think it's important to find out from your kids what they do know. You know, what does it mean to be gay? What does it mean to be lesbian? What does it mean to be transgender? To find out what your kids know, you will be very surprised always at how much they know at a young age. And in a way, it's something to be proud of that they are cognizant of these things. You know, I didn't know about what it meant to be gay until. you know, till I was probably close to the end of elementary school. But I know that my kids knew at a much younger age, they have been, you know. And so I think something that I thought about was how I wanted to approach it. And that was for me to, to make the assumption, which I think is a true assumption, that we don't know if our kids are gay or straight when they're six, seven, eight years old. They might know, they might be starting to put pieces together and figure it out. But we really don't know. Okay. And I've tried to keep that even now with my boys that are a freshman and a senior. I cannot say 100% either way if they are gay or straight. I don't particularly care. I remember my husband and I having that conversation. That's a pretty cool statement. What if, you know, we we asked, you know, when, when this cousin was asked, you know, we were having this discussion, he and I, this back and forth on Facebook Messenger, we're talking about, you know, what do you, what do you wish would have happened? And he, cause he had had a very negative perception of how the church, 
was, you know, talking, and this is also seven, eight years ago. And I said, and I told him, I said, I asked my husband last night, well, what, you know, what do we, if I, what happens if one of our kids are gay? And we both just shrugged. We literally just shrugged like, okay, so what? And so that has been my thought always in the back of my head as they, my kids have been growing elementary, middle school, high school. I really don't know. So I need to approach this in the kindest way possible. And I think it's important for parents to remember, you know, God designed our families. You are the right parent for this child. There is a reason why that, now you may not have picked out your family before coming here. I don't think I picked out my kids and they picked me, but I believe that God designs our families. And so you are the right parent for that child. And that's, in this last days, you know, I love there's a quote by Sherry Dew where she says something like, God could have sent Moses or Eve at this time, but he didn't. God sent you and me at this time. And I believe that we really are the, the right parents and we can choose to make any conversation, including those sex talks, as loving and thoughtful as we can, you know, and we need to think about it in terms of, okay, what would I want to say if my child is gay? Am I gonna, how am I going to describe this? You know, and that's, that includes, I'm not just going to talk about vaginal sex. I'm going to talk about oral and anal sex because sex isn't just one, there's not just one type of sex, right? There's, there's a variety there. And so I think that's important for parents. And there's not a perfect script. Like I said, each child is different in how they are with, and so we need to remember that as we talk about various ideas with gender, with sex, with different types of sex, is just thinking about it in terms of, I really don't know. And it doesn't matter if my child is gay or straight. I love them no matter what. I want them to know, again, that, that, that central piece. I want my kids to be able to talk to me about anything. So I am not going to put any negativity or shame on sexual identification because I want, I want to be the first person my child comes out to, not the last. And so how could we possibly, so that's what needs to be in that thought process. You know, we always say plan your talks, but don't make it an event. So when you're doing these sex talks, I don't mean think you should talk to your partner if you can, but it should be a five minute planning. Okay. I'm not talking about an hour of planning for one lesson. I'm talking about if you can, you know, read the lesson, you know, for five minutes and give it. It should be that simple in thinking about it in terms of love and kindness. I love this line that you and your husband came up internally. If you have an LGBTQ kid, so what? And I just sense that's the goal of the family culture, too, you're developing. And, and so if I'm a kid in your family, and, I'm, and I'm, that's the culture I hope that, and I know is in your family, this is sort of us talking to the listeners, that's the kind of the culture we'd love to develop. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the doctrine of our church or commandment teaching, but I think it's good to create the so what. Um, culture so that they know that you equally will love straight people and gay people. And you haven't been like, to your point, having a culture of family negativism or jokes towards gay people that a lot of societies and families have. And I just think then you're right. You're what an honor to have your kid come out to you first. 
um, instead of laughing. Can you imagine and, that? Like, like that would be the ultimate pat on the back as a parent. And so, you know, it is. and I don't, and, and I don't know if I'm to that level of perfection. I hope I am, but I, I don't know. I've said plenty of stupid things to my kids, Same here. but if for parents who are say younger than us, I'm 43, I have hope in younger parents I, that I think they will be that, that better. And I think that's what, you know, what we want. I might, I want to be, I wanted to be better than my parents. I think my kids will want to be better than me. And, uh, but the, the jokes and stuff, I don't even think we realize sometimes I know that I lived in a home with, a, with a father making lots of jokes about anything different in the culture, whether it was, you know, being gay, being, um, non-Christian, being from a different country, da, 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 like anything, you know, and he was teaching high school <laughs> that I'm like, so, oh my goodness. Anyways, so we got to just do our best. I love that. And I'm thinking of, I have a one dot, one child with my wife and I have one child that has three children and she's great. And so you're right when the young, and she's in her twenties and I look at the way she's teaching her kids and it's just much better and there's more tools and, and wanting to talk about all these subjects in really healthy ways. I have written in my book, um, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints about pornography and my conclusion is it's a myth. It's a window into someone's sexual orientation. It doesn't something that changes some, someone's sexual orientation. And, um, and I also believe that you talking about sex, anal sex, oral sex, vaginal sex, doesn't confuse something into changing their sexual identity because you're having those Not conversations. So any, Not at all. I, Sorry, I discourage people from watching porn. So I'm, I'm not trying to say it's okay to watch porn, but I just don't think it changes sexual orientation. It may influence some short-term experimentation. But I think we know even with conversion therapy, when we were trying to extro- expose straight men to, or gay men to straight porn, it didn't seem to change their orientation. No. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or agree with that or just any added follow-up. Yeah, no, I agree that... Um pornography, you know, particularly if your brain is done developing, you know, our brains finish developing between 22 and 23. So obviously, and I don't think even for, so for that age group, anybody older than that, it's obvious that is not going to change your sexual orientation. And even for younger kids, I think we, one, we can't, it's illegal for us to ever do any kind of research that, that way. But I don't think it, it will, but I know in the old days it used to be, I, or I've read several articles where I've heard gay men say, well, watching porn helped, af- you know, affirm, like help me feel okay about being gay. And I think that that may have been true, let's say in the seventies and eighties, but I think at this point there are enough positive gay role models out there you know, LGBT, not, not just gay, but lesbian, bisexual, trans, all of them, that there's enough of these positive role models that I don't think, I don't think that that argument holds water anymore. That I think there's plenty of, that you don't need to watch gay porn to feel like, oh, it's okay for me to have, have an attraction to someone of the same gender. I, I don't, I don't buy that anymore. That again, like I said, I don't know what it was like to be a lesbian in 1978. So I can't speak to that. But I think today for our kids that 
no, they do not need pornography to feel okay and to feel good about being LGBTQ. What they need is a loving, accepting family, first of all, to help them be able to be accepting of their sexual identity and to, you know, blossom in that regard. I agree with you on that. And thanks for talking about that. Just other things you'd say to LG, LDS, LGBTQ youth or their parents, um, any advice or thoughts? I would say hang in there and uh, forgive people for the stupid things they say. Um, somebody gave me that advice when, um, when I, so when my, when my fourth child was born, he was born, stillborn. And that was obviously the worst time of my life. And it was very difficult. And somebody who had lost a child under similar circumstances sent me a card and said, that was one of the pieces of advice she gave to me was forgive, forgive people who mean well, but say stupid things to you. And uh, it struck me and it has stayed with me on a number of different circumstances in my life and different occasions is to forgive and let it go. You know, just let it go when people, because people are, are well-meaning, particularly at the, in the church, not just our church, but I would say in most churches. And they will say and do things that they think are really helping and really it might be hurtful or damaging. You know, I had, when, when this had happened, I had a woman at the gym say to me, oh, well, this, maybe this was all for the best. Yikes. I wanted to I wanted to punch her in the face sure. and say, how could this be right when this was the worst thing that could have happened? You know, and I but I remember but I remember a few days later I got that card and I remember thinking, that's right. I need, you know, I just let it go. You know, I don't need that, but it's okay to talk about those things. You know, tell your mom or dad, tell your sibling that somebody said this, because again, then you're you're educating them, you know bring it up in class in Relief Society and young, wherever you can of, you know, somebody said this to me and as I am, you know, basically moving forward with my life and figuring myself out, this was not helpful because again, there, we, we do this not just in with LGBTQ youth, we do that with people who are going through a hard time with our struggling with mental illness. I've had, I've had clinical depression in my life. And again, people saying, crazy things to me, but meaning well. And I can look back now as a 43-year-old and go, okay, that's what they meant. They were, they were trying to do this. But, if, but when I was going through it in college, 21, I was like, it was very painful, right? So I think discussing that with your advocates, with the people who get it, but also letting, let go, let, let go of the dumb things that people, and don't let that affect, remember your, you know, your, your testimony of God and Jesus Christ, just hold fast to that. And because, you know, we're, we're an, an, a perfect church being run by absolutely devastatingly imperfect people, including myself. I agree with that. Tell us the name of your son who was stillborn. His name was Nathaniel. Nathaniel. He would have been 12 years old this year. Thanks for sharing that part of your story. That's pretty tender. I love that name. Me too. Um, I'm sure you chose that name for a really important reason. So I did. Um, I just love this whole podcast. I I wrote I wrote down the word bishop training meeting, meaning I wish I could have heard you speak <laughs> as I was a newly called YSA bishop or a beginning father, and um, you have just really helpful, important insights that I 
hope more and more people in our faith and outside of our faith as parents or people that are advising others um, have foundational principles. You're, it's really, really wonderful, um, your voice and your writings and your work. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share, Dina, with our listeners? Thank you. And I, I appreciate your kind words. Um, and if people would like more information, we do have, uh, like I said, a couple articles about masturbation. We have a couple articles about um, helping our kids face LGBTQ concerns. Um, and then we are at educateempowerkids.org. All of our books are on Amazon. And uh, we also have an LDS site that just barely started. So it's kind of small, but that is empowerlatterdaysaintkids.org as well. And we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. And there you go. In fact, I'm going to ask you one more question because I just, sure. we talked about this ahead of time. Talk about your book, Chloe Has a Question and Normalizing Questions in LDS Culture and, sure. and Not Shaming um, Culture Around, you know, We Shouldn't Have Doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So in the last year, I've written two uh, books for LDS kids. This is The Spirit of Revelation, helping kids understand how to receive personal revelation and the power of acting upon it. And then I also just this summer released a book called Chloe Has a Question, a very important question. And the point and the focus of this is to help our kids know that their questions aren't just good, they're great. Um, that I want our kids to, our kids are going to have tons of questions, especially in this day and age. Why does the church feel this way about LGBTQ issues? Why can't we have sex before marriage? You know, why is there a God? Did Jesus Christ and God really appear to Joseph Smith? They're going to have these very important questions and we don't want them to feel bad about them. We want them to know that these are the most critical questions they can ask and that they can come to us with those questions, but also that they can turn to the scriptures. And so we also in the book talk about where we can find truth. And all of my books, including those, have tons of discussion questions at the end um, to really help our kids see themselves not just as doubters, but to see themselves as seekers of truth. That's great. Um, I love that you're, this mission of yours is broader than just one topic. It's sort of all these topics that we as parents need to learn better tools to talk to our kids about so they'll talk to us and we can have these conversations. Yeah, we think them. of it as as just parenting in the digital age, that we're we're with you on this this new frontier of parenting at this time. Well, um, listeners, this is Dina Alexander from Rio Rancho Albuquerque and Richard Osler, your podcast host from Salt Lake City. Um, thanking you for joining us. We really appreciate all the people that listened. I think about eight to ten to twelve thousand listened to every episode, but it's really because of the guests like Dina that come on and you as listeners that share these episodes and get more people connected with all the topics we're talking about. And this is, we're signing off from another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.